Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Talking Business, a podcast produced in Melbourne, Australia. The podcast is available on the ACAST app, the Apple Podcast Store, or wherever you go to get your podcasts. Or you can get it at the Business Acumen website at www.businessacumen.biz. I am Leon Gettler. My job is to review and monitor the week's news in business, finance and economics. I bring it all to you every week. This is episode number 24 in our series for 2020, and today's date is Friday the 17th of July. First, I'll be talking to Troy Roenfeld from digital agency Incrucio, which has set up a website stimulus package to help arm all Australians with information regarding the recently implemented stimulus packages. Individuals and businesses will be able to locate and easily sort through all applicable support packages offered by the federal and state governments to help ease financial pressures and better navigate the tough times ahead. And I'll be talking to economist Nicholas Gruen, who has ideas about how to make governments more innovative. But now, let's talk to Troy Ronfeld. Well, Troy, tell us about stimulus package. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Um, so, yeah, the stimulus package is, is a site that we pulled together that that collates all the, the various stimulus packages from the, uh, both the state and federal level uh, into into just the one one location. So it, it came about because... When, when I was originally looking for various different stimulus packages, I was trying to find the information and, and, I, and I couldn't find everything simply in one spot that I needed. My wife had mentioned a, a Northern Territory stimulus package and she goes, oh, this might be useful, but obviously it was Northern Territory, so it didn't, didn't apply and that got me looking further. Once I realised it was a bit hard, I was just ticking over in my, in my head one evening while I, was, while I was working through things and 
and I started looking at different domain names and, and realised that the stimuluspackage.com.au domain name was available. So I registered that, thought about it another day or two and, and got my team working on, on developing it out. We had some capacity as, as we'd lost a number of projects uh, in the preceding days with some clients that were in the event space and catering space. Their businesses had pretty much imploded and so all work and, and, and that we had on with them was, was put on hold until either they, they come back or they may, maybe they don't. So, so we used that downtime that we had to, to get our developers and our content guys onto, onto fleshing the site out. What, what drove you to it? Because, simply because no one knew where to go and it was confusing? Yeah, so in, in the early days, it was, it was a really hard to find the information. I think it's, it's probably become a lot easier now. Um, the government sites have sort of picked up their, their game. But earlier on in the piece, it was really hard to find the information. And it was really sketchy. You, you're sort of piecing together bits and pieces from different news reports. And the government websites were still a bit sparse on information. It was just trying to find that information that we kind of went, yeah, there's a, there's a gap here that needs to be, needs to be filled. And there's probably a whole lot more that could be done as well, but it's, some of the stimulus stuff even goes down to a city level. So you might have the City of Sydney, they're doing various programs, City of Melbourne are doing programs, and all your local councils. The amount of work involved in that is something that we, we don't have the capacity to, to roll that out at the moment, considering we're doing it for nothing. <laughs> right, this is your, this is your uh, firm in Crucio. Yeah, that's right. Okay, okay. So, so you, you'd have had your entire team working on this? We probably had four or five on, of us on it for a number of days where we just kind of dropped client work for a bit and went, okay, let's punch this one out. So, and now there's an ongoing process of, of keeping the stimulus package content that we have there up to date, um, but it's not as intensive as the, as the first week or two that we, that we were fleshing it out. There was a lot of work that, that went into parsing all that different content and organising it and, and getting it up there. As we're monitoring it and as, as things change, for example, the JobKeeper uh, package is sort of a, a work in progress. So as we, as we find out new information on that, we'll, we'll keep that updated. And I'm sure there's probably going to be future stimulus package announcements in the coming weeks or, or months. And we'll, we'll keep that updated and, and um, shoot out updates to, to people that have registered for them on the site. Well, what, what's quite clear, particularly with stuff like JobKeeper, is people are just unaware of what's involved. That's right, and it's still just so unclear. I mean, we don't even know. <laughs> We're looking at it, and um, and we, we, you know, I speak to my accountant, and and sometimes they're they're still quite unclear as to what's happening, and I think it's a bit of a moving target at the moment. So, what's been the response like? Really good. Um, I think people found it useful. We've got a lot of people have signed up for for the newsletters and getting updates. Um, so yeah, I think it's. It's been generally generally very positive. I think people people are struggling people are struggling to find information out there that's suitable. And so we can kind of go. Well, I live in Sydney, so I'm I'm interested in New South Wales and federal packages, and and you can do a search if you're on a particular industry and you can find out what's what's suitable for you. We'd love to get the next step down of of you know if you could do a postcode search and identified you're in you know in the city of Sydney or in the Hornsby Council or in on the central coast, and you could find something that was a bit more specific and regional to to you. But that would that would involve months of work, I think, to to be able to pull that together. 
and we've unfortunately, well, fortunately and unfortunately, we have client work to do. <laughs> does it involve not only sort of things like uh, benefits people can get, but does it also involve social services and stuff like schools? Yeah, so we we've we've got some um, some baseline social services up there, like mental health services and um, accommodation and and just general support services. So if people people are looking for help, there's a, an area where where they can find out a bit more information about that. And we also have a section on offers, so and that's something that can grow. So there's various businesses out there that might be you know offering their products for free if they're productivity tools or their education tools or they're doing special offers for people just to use their services. So we've got a, a section on the side for, for that as well. Um, and then we've done we've got some content that's been provided by lawyers and accountants and, and financial advisors where they're they're giving their thoughts and opinions and resources on on various various stimulus packages or just different areas that businesses can provide uh, get support. And these lawyers and accountants so they're offering this advice free of charge of course. Yeah, yeah, and so we're either you know they might have some content that they've given to their clients and via an email, and they're they're kindly giving us the the information that we can we can utilise on the site. Uh, I mean, one of the big questions people are now asking about is not only about mental health services, but about schools. That seems to be the issue that keeps on coming up all the time. Yeah, so I mean, actually, we have one of our in our in our agency. One of our clients is is a, a Christian. Uh, school and they have about 12 different schools around the country but they also have a strong online learning um, school already which is interesting because we've seen just from we do we do SEO work uh, for them we've seen a really strong increase in demand for their online uh, school um, service which is which is fascinating but yeah it's it's a challenging one I mean I've got two little kids uh, an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old and trying to work from home manage the business keep them going. Um, my wife works in aged care mental health, which of course is is a challenging area at the moment as well. So um, we're, we're juggling the, the schooling and the work and the trying to quarantine or keep ourselves isolated. Uh, it's quite a challenging time. <laughs> right, right. And uh, so you'll be, you'll be constantly now putting the, inf- the information together from various social service and support group sites as well, won't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so as as much as we can. I mean, it's 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 something we're trying to trying to keep going. But of course, we're a, we're not a big business. We're we're a team of about ten, and we've got a we've lost a lot of work, and we're we're trying to keep keep our doors open and keep keep operating. Um, so this is something that we're that we're committed to doing. But of course, as you know, uh, our paid work uh, takes precedence at the moment. But the the great part is you've got other businesses coming on board and offering their their services mm-hmm. and advice and uh, lawyers exactly. and accountants coming on board. That's right. And so the more of those that want to, I'm more than happy to, to talk to people. And, and if, uh, if anyone's listening, they can, they can send through their details and we're happy to, to get, get some advice and some, some content from them. So it becomes very much a community exercise, doesn't it? That's right. That's right. And that would be good. Well, it'll be fascinating to see how it how it goes, and uh, how hmm. and you'll be you'll have to keep this running for several months now. I'd say so. Yeah, <laughs> it's um. I'd say yeah. It seems as though well. I mean, a lot of the stimulus packages are running for six months at the very minimum, um, and I think there's probably going to be stuff that flows on after that as well. It'll be it'll be interesting to see if there's another round of packages that support businesses that are or individuals that are missing out in this round. It's 
it's a tough time for everyone. So, I mean, we're probably in one of those industries that are a bit better off than others. Um, being digital, we we already had a team that was working semi-remotely. We have an office, but people would work from home or or um, quite quite flexibly. We have so it doesn't change our working arrangement too much. Um, but it's obviously some of our clients have been very negatively affected. Um, so that that's where the impact comes in. But we're seeing we're seeing an interesting shift of of work, um, and and it's yeah it's it's a really interesting but hard time. Well, Troy, it will be fascinating to watch, and uh, good on you for doing it. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. And now let's talk to economist Nicholas Green. Okay. Well, Nicholas Green, we're talking a bit here about innovation and uh, ideas in government, and uh, you say that the distinction between knowing and knowing that and knowing how is a big deal and by understanding more of that we can unpick a number of mistakes we make in trying to make governments more innovative uh, can you be begin by explaining the difference between knowing that and knowing how so so everyone will be familiar with the difference between knowing i mean i know a lot about let, let's put it this way i know quite a lot about the game of tennis but you wouldn't i wouldn't rate against roger federer so that's an easy way to explain the difference. However, one of the things that infuses our lives after we get to school is that we get taught that things. And school isn't nearly as good at teaching us how to do things. And it spends, and, and, and often we end up with a rather mixed up idea of those things. And the whole business of knowledge if you think of reading uh, an essay the, the all of the things that you do you're looking at little squiggles on a page and so there is this scaffolding of know-how that you're actually building your thinking on and it's not knowledge of anything you don't have any idea how you're we're using words right now leon and we don't really have any idea how we do this how we draw the right words out of our head in the right order to put in a sentence and so our knowledge that whatever we know is built on all this know-how and all this know-how was acquired not at a blackboard but by practicing routines. Now that sounds very abstract, but what, so as we, as we go through this interview, I'll try to illustrate how, how things get confused, uh, where for instance, bureaucrats, let me just give you a very clear example of this. Um, if you think about dealing with indigenous disadvantage, what do politicians talk about? They talk about, the that's they talk about the things we can the, the 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 facts we can know so they say things like we want to close the gap they do not foreground in their discussion how they are going to do it so kevin rudd gets up and says he's committed to closing the gap then julia gillard then tony abbott and nobody gets down to the really hard questions which is how we're going to do it. And, and so I think that's a quite a profound thing. And the more I've thought about it, the more it's given me a kind of key to some of the strange things that we get up to and ways in which we think we, we persuade ourselves we're making progress and we're actually not even focusing on the right thing. 
Well, you make a lot of Paul Graham's argument, the worst thing you learn to do at school is to do well on tests. So what's the significance of that? for? Yeah, so, so, so Paul Graham's got a marvellous essay. If anyone's interested, they can email me and I'll send them the... Uh, I'll, I'll send them the link to it. Paul Graham is the founder of Y Combinator, one of the very first accelerators or incubators of startups, and he's incubated all kinds of fantastic startups that we've we've heard about today. May even have incubated Zoom, over which we're speaking at the moment. And he he kept saying to well. well one of the things is that as a bright kid in school, a bright and somewhat disengaged kid in school. He, it took him a long time to realise that, that school doesn't, re, that, that the one thing that school teaches you to, is how to pass the test. And it then assumes that passing the test is, is the, that if you pass the, the test, you have the knowledge. But that's not right, because as you listen to a lecture, as you listen to a class, you become quite skilled at working out what to pay attention to based on whether you've got a sense of could this turn up in the test and if someone's telling you something very interesting about Jane Austen's novels that's not going to turn up in the test but if they tell you that Jane Austen wrote five novels or six novels and she was you know in in early 19th century England uh, and so on those things can turn up in the test so so Paul Graham feels that schools are quite artificial environments in which to learn. And then he then, he then encounters all these, all these uh, entrepreneurs in startups and they all want to know tips and tricks for getting investors. And of course there are tips and tricks for encouraging people to invest in you. But as Paul Graham says, certainly in his area of IT, the way to really do this is to build great products. And yes, there are some the, the two things you know two things you need is you need to be able to market that product. You need to get people to invest in your company, but those are much more minor problems than building a product, building a digital product that is brilliantly conceived and brilliantly executed. So it sort of slowly dawns on him that the reason he's encountering this is that these kids who are in these startups are fairly freshly out of school and university. And they're kind of, they've got this logic of looking around for the, the way we're going to measure something that they're looking around to pass the test rather than focusing on doing a great job. And if you think about, and, and what it's, as I've been reading that, I've been thinking what a marvelous example of the way in which bureaucracies find it so hard to just focus on doing a great idea, uh, doing something really well. Of course, it's very difficult to do that. You've got to, got to get all sorts of people to cooperate with each other. And what if they won't cooperate very well? Who's at fault? All the rest of it. And yet bureaucracies are dedicated to the proposition that the KPIs really are the performance, which they're not. Uh, and so on. So, so that to me is, uh, and again, the passing the test is knowledge that, and what mostly we want is knowledge how to do something. That so, and that explains why uh, bureaucracies seem to struggle with it. 
I, I think so too. I, I think so. Um, there's a, there's a, a, uh, uh, a guy who got the Nobel Prize in economics, he's really a cybernetist, a sort of computer guy, an organizational guy called Herbert Simon. And he pointed out, I mean, I think this is a really powerful point that he divides knowledge up into sciences and professions. Sciences, he says, are to know singular fact, singular things. They're, they're a discipline of knowing that, then they know the world and there is one world and they know necessary facts about the world, that there's a sun and there are planets going around the sun and so on. And then he talks about professions, professions like law and engineering, and I would say economics. And he says those, ultimately, those professions are about something different. They're about knowing how, and because they're about knowing how, they're not about a singular world. They're about, if you like, a multiverse. They're about all the ways in which we could change the world to make it more suitable to ourselves. And of course, people will disagree about that. And then he points out that in the 1950s, as everybody fell in love with science, a lot of professions ended up getting packed full of equations and all kinds of things. So this happens in engineering, it happens in economics. And it's not that it's not that the equations should be sort of thrown out. The equations can help be more scientific about our know-how. But what tends to happen is that students simply get filled up with all this stuff, all this scientific-like stuff, and then they get told, well, now you know how to build a bridge or now you know how to run an economy. Uh, now you uh, can help companies perform better. And they haven't been trained to do that. They've been taught a whole lot of what and not very much how. And he, in Paul Simon's argument, professions are ultimately about design. They're about designing better ways of doing things. And yet they they get caught up in a kind of status display in which, uh, in which people get uh, taught to, if you like, to pretend to be scientific. I was giving a talk uh, recently about COVID, uh, about the coronavirus pandemic. And it's quite remarkable how the work being done uh, to deal with COVID, almost all of it is in areas like testing drugs and so on. And where are we falling down? Well, we're falling down, we've fallen down shockingly on thinking about the role of masks, simple things like using masks in public. Uh, so the Czech Republic has had a pretty open, uh, hasn't done a lot of lockdowns, was very strict on masks early on and has had a much better experience than lots of other, uh, than lots of other countries but there's not much uh, research on, on this kind of low-key stuff, low-key uh, know-how stuff, because we're all in love with pretending to be great scientists. And what you're saying is that bureaucrats need to actually develop the design part of thinking and the, uh, the how. Uh, indeed. And, and in fact, who gets promoted in a bureaucracy are all the people, you know, the people with the best CVs, 
all the and and what policy is is largely setting up structures that know that and meanwhile who knows how well the people at the bottom uh the people out in the field and some of them know how to do it well and others don't and does the policy uh layer the people at the top is that what's what they're sweating over they're not they're sweating over kpis they're sweating over the, and and they don't design the kpis particularly well so to give you a really good example in family services in one state many years ago they decided to reunify children who had been taken off their parents for abuse and neglect obviously not all of them but the ones they thought were most that were most promising and they and they tried this they tried to do this and it was basically a disaster but one office had in fact learned to take the success rate from 30% to 85% it took a long time they worked out how to do it and the people at the center actually didn't even know this was going on ended up closing down this initiative because it was so disastrous and all this know-how was scattered to the winds now that's a cautionary tale but the moral i call i draw on it isn't that the people at the top should only shouldn't should simply have known about this the people at the top didn't know how to didn't know how to make their own program work these other people worked out how to do it they should have been the ones getting promoted they should have been the ones that the that people were going to saying what 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 should we do now how do we you know rather than being bossed around in the center so that's a so if we want to take know-how seriously it's not just a matter of of me saying some nice things and some people learning it at head office it's about taking know-how sufficiently seriously to put it on top rather than have it ordered rather than have people ordered around all over the place well that's a great uh insightful views about how governments can actually innovate to develop answers to huge problems and uh, Nicholas Gurin thank you very much for your time thanks leon so what's happening in the news well former federal reserve chair janet yellen has warned the economic crisis triggered by covid-19 is not set for a v-shaped recovery but a nike shaped swoosh with the potential for related bankruptcies to create their own corporate debt crises Speaking on Monday night in Magellan's annual investor update, Dr. Yellen, who is an advisor to the funds manager, said the crisis could have huge and long-term impacts on the global economy and investment landscape as government support ends. She cited several reasons for this prediction, including the likelihood of a spate of corporate failures and health concerns continuing to weigh on economic activity. I think we'll get growth after that, but to get back to where we started will take a number of years, Ms. Yellen said. I think that's going to be a long, drawn-out process. I find it hard to imagine that hospitality, travel, tourism and consumer-facing sectors will come back to anything close to where they were for a very long time. And the US recession triggered by the coronavirus will be deeper and longer than initially expected, according to the three big banks that reported drastic tumbles in quarterly profits. Instead of a quick economic recovery at the end of this year, J.P. Morgan Chase now expects the recession to be much more protected, said the bank's chief financial officer, Jennifer Pichek. Citigroup said in a statement that it was preparing for a higher level of stress and or a somewhat slower economic recovery. 
The bank's more pessimistic outlooks come as millions of people remain out of work, thousands of small businesses close their doors forever, and some states begin to shut down for a second time to contain the spread of the coronavirus. The recession marks the first big test of the banking industry's resilience since the last financial crisis, when banks took billions in taxpayer bailouts. This time, the industry says it's much stronger. And the Morrison government will revamp and extend the JobKeeper program beyond September, but struggling business owners are being cautioned to think twice before signing up again because it might send them broke. The small business lobby and the government are aware that workers who have been kept on the books using the $1,500 per fortnight wage subsidies have continued to accrue annual leave and other entitlements. Should the business owner decide at some stage to let the workers go because the business will not bounce back, these entitlements will have to be paid out from cash reserves or from dwindling or non-existent profits. On Thursday next week, when the government released its first economic update since December last year, a revamped JobKeeper with new assessment criteria will be announced. There is speculation that rather than a flat $1,500 fortnightly payment for six months, there will be different rates of pay and a rolling assessment process to ensure ongoing eligibility. And Victorian retailers are bracing for store closures, with the Victorian government preparing for harder lockdown restrictions after the state's new virus cases jumped up to 270, two more Victorians died, and a second wave showed no sign of turning the corner. Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews said they may need to go harder on restrictions if the numbers do not improve, and high-level discussions were underway on Tuesday afternoon as active cases climbed to 1,803, with almost 300 cases recorded in regional Victoria, outside the lockdown. And that will be severe. In England, most shops and businesses, including pubs, cinemas, theatres, clothing and electronic stores, beauty salons, community centres and sports facilities, have been ordered to close. In New Zealand, All businesses were closed except for essential services like supermarkets, chemists, medical centres and petrol stations. And several major retailers will shutter their Melbourne operations after the Victorian government imposed a six-week lockdown on Tuesday. Solomon Liu's Premier Investments, the owner of Smiggle, Peter Alexander, Portman's and Just Jeans, said it would shut all its Melbourne metro stores on Wednesday night. The closure will affect stores in 36 shopping centres and seven strip malls, but will not extend to Premier's regional stores. Premier said it would not pay rent on its metropolitan stores during the shutdown, but its distribution centre and support office would remain open. Apple joined the shutdown, announcing it would close all five of its Victorian stores from Wednesday. The tech giant had already closed its High Point store due to its location in a COVID-19 hotspot and will now close the remaining stores from midnight. Apple had closed each of its Australian stores in February as COVID-19 hit and reopened them recently, mandating temperature checks and masks for every customer. National Retailers Association CEO Dominic Lamb said the latest lockdown would prove costly for many businesses, no matter the size. And credit and debit card spending has dropped across most categories in Victoria as a second wave lockdown bites, dragging down overall spending across the country. Commonwealth Bank data shows growth in card spending across the country eased in the week to July to be only 7.2% higher than a year ago. This is down from 12% higher in the week to July 3rd. Overall spending growth in Victoria went negative, falling 3%. This reverses the rebound the state had experienced in the previous week when spending rose 5% above the same time last year. Spending in Victoria on clothing, personal care, recreation, transport and education all took a hit as a COVID-19 outbreak spread across the state and restrictions on movement were again imposed. Spending growth eased in all other states over the week with the exception of the Northern Territory. 
In the ACT, overall spending growth compared to the same week last year also went negative, down 1%. In New South Wales, overall spending is now 9% higher than the same week last year. In the week to July 3rd, that spending was 13% higher. Spending on food, however, is growing in both Victoria and all other states in an early sign of some stockpiling behaviour seen during the first pandemic lockdown in late March. Services spending across the country is down 10% on the same time last year, again reversing the recovery last week when the pullback in services eased to be just 3% on the same time last year. The overall figures point to a weakening in consumption, which makes up 60% of GDP. Consumer spending behaviour is also closely watched for decisions around stimulus. And bad news for hotels. The Berejiklian government will tighten some social restrictions on Tuesday, along with the implementation of stricter rules on venues to collect the contact details of patrons in case of an outbreak. Group bookings at pubs will be reduced from 20 people back to 10, and large venues will not be allowed to have more than 300 patrons. Clubs, restaurants and Sydney's Star Casino are not included in the crackdown, despite the star being fined for breaching some restrictions. The restrictions come as a Crossroads Hotel cluster grows to 21 and was linked to a case in another pub in the area as well as Sydney's Star Casino. And the New South Wales government will prioritise economic recovery over preemptive lockdowns even as it slashes the number of people who will be allowed into the state's pubs and ramps up enforcement against venues flouting the rules. As Victorian health authorities warned that infected travellers visited a string of venues across Sydney last week, New South Wales Cabinet on Monday night decided to cut from 20 to 10 the number of patrons who could book in a group and strengthen flying squads to enforce COVID-19 social distancing rules. But senior ministers remain committed to keeping the New South Wales economy open as businesses warn they cannot afford a repeat of a hard lockdown in the wake of Victoria's decision to enforce a six-week stay-at-home order in Melbourne after a spike in COVID-19 transmissions. The recovery of the New South Wales economy, which makes up about a third of the national economy, was the subject of fierce debate during a telephone hookup of senior ministers on Sunday night that included Premier Gladys Berejiklian, Deputy Premier John Barillaro and Treasurer Dominic Perrottet. The strong belief among senior ministers was that lockdowns of any kind would be anathema to economic recovery. The state's hospital system was equipped to handle the sharp rise in cases and a lockdown would be an absolute last resort. And latest research by ANZ Roy Morgan shows confidence fell 0.5% in the last week, its third weekly decline. Its report noted deteriorating conditions in Melbourne are driving the anxiety, with economic sentiments conditions falling 3.4% over the week. And the Westpac Melbourne Institute Index of Consumer Sentiment fell 6.1% to 87.9% in July, from 93.7% in June. The timing of the survey is relevant. It covered the week in which the lockdown was announced for Melbourne, but the survey closed before the news of a significant cluster was reported for Sydney. Sentiment has been rocked by the resurgence of coronavirus cases over the last month. It is of some concern that the survey predates the news of significant cluster of cases in Sydney, which emerged last weekend, a day after the end of the survey. State readings underscore the importance of virus-related developments. Victoria's sentiment plunged 10.4% in July, but sentiment across the rest of the nation showed much milder declines, down 4.5% on a combined basis. While milder, the weakness in other states is also likely to be linked to the outbreak in Victoria, reflecting concerns about the virus spreading into state and spillover effects on the wider economy. But business confidence and conditions across the country registered a record rebound before the Victorian COVID-19 lockdown last week, the latest NAB business survey reveals. 
Trading, profitability, forward orders and employment intentions all surged in June as restrictions across the country had started to relax and power up business activity. Confidence rose by 21 points to one index point in the month, a third consecutive large increase in confidence, while business conditions rose 17 points to minus seven index points, continuing last month's rebound after falling below GFC lows in April. Despite the solid overall improvement across May and June, there is still a long way to go, with most indicators still well below the long-run averages. Business conditions are eight points below pre-pandemic levels, which were already relatively weak. And advertising revenue for metropolitan commercial radio stations, including 2GB, 3AW and KISS, dropped nearly 47% in three months to June, as companies slashed spending during the coronavirus crisis. The industry booked ad revenue of $114.1 million in the fourth quarter of 2020 financial year, down from $213.7 million a year earlier, according to Commercial Radio Australia. Sydney, the nation's biggest radio market, and Brisbane recorded the biggest falls. Both markets also saw major hosting changes following the departure of veteran broadcaster Alan Jones from his long-running breakfast radio show on the 2GB and 4BC stations, which are owned by Nine Entertainment at the end of May. Fourth quarter ad revenue dropped 48.45% to $34 million in Sydney and 48.48% to $16.9 million in Brisbane. The Melbourne market fell 46.57% to $37.3 million. Perth stations recorded a 43.87% fall to $14.8 million and Adelaide stations fell 40.92% to more than $11 million. Australia's major radio companies include Nine Entertainment's Nine Radio, formerly Macquarie Media, Southern Cross Media, HTE's Australian Net- Radio Network, and Nova Entertainment. The big drop is broadly in line with broader media industry, which saw ad revenue fall more than 40% in May and June because of a health and economic crisis. And mail vacancies have hit a 20 year high as eased coronavirus restrictions and increased foot traffic failed to alleviate the pain felt by many retailers, latest figures from JLL show. With coronavirus shutdowns and restrictions putting pressure on retailers, the average number of empty shop fronts in shopping centres around the country rose to 5.1% in June, from 3.8% in December 2019. It was the highest vacancy level in more than 20 years. If normally bustling CBD shopping locations and large format retailer are including, the average vacancy rate rises to 6.3%, a jump of 1.5% over the same six-month period. And Virgin Australia's prospective new owner, US private equity outfit Bain Capital, urgently injected $125 million into the airline to ensure its immediate survival. Minutes from a committee meeting on July the 1st offer the first glimpse into the financial covenants Bain entered to purchase Virgin. When the country's second carrier fell into administration in late April, concerns were raised that it did not have enough cash to fund its operations until the sale was completed, upon creditors approving the deal at an August meeting. However, according to the minutes from a committee of inspection meeting, Bain bridged that gap on July the 1st. The firm is also planning to pay unsecured creditors hundreds of millions of dollars for their debt, the minutes said. Still, this is significantly short of the nearly $2 billion Virgin owed them when it collapsed in late April. The minutes, which the airline's administrators from Deloitte filed with regulators last week, revealed that the carrier plans to return to 35% of its pre-pandemic capacity to the sky by the end of August. Further, Bain is planning to retain at least 73 jets from the airline's existing fleet as well. And even as much as Australia's second largest state remains under lockdown, Qantas is attempting to lure its most loyal customers back to booking travel. 
To help compensate for reduced flying activity, the airline is offering elite frequent flyer members a 50% bump in status credits. The move will help push anxious loyalists closer to maintaining their membership tiers for the year. Reward seats for domestic and trans-Tasman flights will also be opened up to drum up demand. Qantas says it's already seeing strong interest in Queensland routes. And after being opposed by the Australian Competition Consumer Commission and going through the federal court, TPG has finalised its merger with Vodafone Australia after almost two years since it was first announced. The combined entity, now worth $16.63 billion, adopted the name of TPG Telecom and now trades on the Australian Securities Exchange under the ticker TPG. TPG has also spun out its Singaporean mobile business, TPG Telecom Private Limited, to a new company called Tuas Limited. And that's it for this week. And next week I'll be talking to Hayden Brass from the little-known oil company Zia Relief and its offer of a unique range of products that are changing the way people treat arthritis, inflammation and pain at home. And I'll be talking to Indeed economist Callum Pickering about Australia's latest unemployment figures. In the meantime, you can find me on Twitter at TalkingBiz, B-O-Z, on Facebook and on LinkedIn. And if you want, leave a comment. Wishing you all a safe and healthy week and looking forward to bringing Talking Business next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 